There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Welcome back, most splendid of listeners, to another in our Walk the Dark Street series. And this week's choice here at Max Mike Movies is Tokyo Drift. And I got to admit, it's kind of a puzzler for me. Um, first off, I don't really see... I don't see how this is a noir film. I don't see how all the street racing really fits the noir genre. And, you know, sure, a lot of it takes place at night. Yeah, but it's so loud and explosive, and there's so much driving. And I have to say, I'm not sure why they didn't include Vin Diesel in this chapter. And one of the characters in this straight up dies, and then, get this, reappears in a later movie. I mean, that's not noir. I, I Honestly, I don't see how a franchise movie in general Max. really fits into this. Max. This noir. Yeah? Tokyo Drifter. What? Tokyo Drifter. Her. It's a Japanese well, film. Same. There are no cars in it. <laughs> There's no oh. racing. Nobody dies and comes back. What did I watch? I don't. Oh. Yes, I do know. <laughs> and, okay, yes. so you need to go in a corner right okay. now and yep. watch the correct film so we can do the show. <laughs> okay, hang on just a sec. There. I've watched the whole movie. <laughs> totally now, believe seriously, it. This movie is from 1966, sort of on the border between classic and new noir, and it is Seijun Suzuki's Tokyo Drift, which has graced a number of must-see noir lists. Drifter. What did I say? Tokyo Drift again. Well, I was speaking Japanese, you ignorant white boy. <laughs> and what are you? <laughs> Have some no, rice. No, no one can see me, so I might be Japanese. They don't know. Yeah, Levine, there's a big Japanese name. We changed it when we came over to Ellis Island. Um, what was it before, pray tell? I am your host, Max Alpaca Tetsu Levine. And over there is your host, Mike Platypus Tetsu Loose. Konnichiwa, Mike. Uh, konnichiwa, Max-san. Uh, Genki desu ka? Gesundheit. Before we get to this movie, <laughs> we asked you a cool question last week about other movies. Cool question. Is there room, excuse me, is there still room for noir, film noir, in today's cinema? Or has it all been said before? Is it still relevant? And you had thoughts. Nick Hoffins said, hmm, that means he's thinking. <laughs> I guess I'd say that its time is largely past, and that there will always be some resurgence of styles from time to time, or that elements will be picked up and worked into new things. Seems a little uncertain, but uh, sure. Tyler Stewart says, I think there are two basic elements that comprise classic film noir, the emotional and the visual. Mm. The visual, black and white, contrasting shadows, etc., is hardly ever seen. Sin City and the Spirit, <laughs> why'd you have to bring that one up, are the only films that readily come to mind. Well, uh, the emotional is still with us in a variety of flavors. L.A. Confidential, Taken, maybe John Wick, etc. John Wick? Noir? Well, to be fair, I've never seen one, so I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. Actually, there might be a case to be made for that, but that's that, I think is a, that's a interesting stuff, Tyler. 
Regan McStravick says, Always room for good film noir, and always room for black and white filmmaking, too, dot, dot, dot. You'll see our entire episode on The Lighthouse, because that was a very surprising and amazing use of black and white in current day film. Absolutely. Val Coons, who's been queuing footsteps all over the country, says, interesting question. Well, we thought so. But I think that uh, that, what was happening in the world at the time was a critical influence on the genre, and that can't be recreated in modern times. It wasn't only the war and the Red Scare, it was the technology, the customs and habits, the environments that contributed to noir. That being said, I think homages could be made. I just heard Eddie Muller, one of, if not the biggest authorities on noir, explain the genre this way. I'm paraphrasing here. Noir is when people know something is wrong and they do it anyway. That's not a bad summation, really. Mm. He thinks noir is alive and well today, by the way. He cited Nightcrawler, which was a possibility, which we haven't gotten to, in 2014. <laughs> uh, not that Nightcrawler. Oh. <laughs> it does, although, I don't know, German expressionist movie. Huh? <laughs> And Nightmare Alley, 2021. Don't Don't know know that one. Mm -mm. So there you go. Yeah, thank you. Mm. Adam Mark says, most definitely there is room for more. Well, that's settled. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Seemingly every genre has been declared dead only to see a new voice or perspective and or actor, director, writer breathe new life into it. And that's a good point. Mm. The movie musical was dead, for example, until Chicago in 2002 roared into theaters and won Best Picture. Broadway was thought a declining niche entertainment market until Hamilton 2015 burst out through our sorry burst through our front doors. Mm. True blockbuster monoculture moments. Ooh, look at him with his big words. <laughs> with butts in seats in theaters, <laughs> butts were were thought lost <laughs> thought lost forever. Until Barbie 2023. You make fun of him for using big words in one breath, and then the next breath immediately start giggling about the use of the word butts. What's your point? <laughs> You're my Phil- point. <laughs> what does that even mean? Film you know noir. what it means. <laughs> Film noir can be made anew with, with the empowerment of careful and loving hands. Ideally, once SAG reaches a deal with the studios, speed the day, True long-term investment and protection of talent will give us a flourish of new and intriguing and enduring cinema art. Ginger, get the popcorn. Yes, Marianne. <laughs> Who, who's Ginger? I don't know who he's talking. I don't know. Yeah. But thank you, Adam. Wow. Hmm. That, that is a really, that's a fascinating treatise on a good chunk of all modern cinema. <laughs> I think he likes movies. How does he do that that fast? I don't know. And, of course, Dave! Dave! As, as to whether anything new can be said by an anthropomorphized noir that has hypothetically already said so very much, my answer is a resounding yes. Oh. New things can always be said. It's one of the reasons I never shut up. <laughs> 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 nice one, Dave. The role of fiction is to teach us about truths using stories that put the truths in context and make it easier to remember and understand them. As time passes, new truths become apparent and or old lessons need to be relearned in the context of new circumstances. As such, over any long enough period of time, issues will arise where the stylistic aspects of noir can be used to get a timely and relevant message through to an audience. Also, films are marketed when they are released. As a result, a substantial subset of the population only really knows the new and latest films and has grown up without seeing much, if any, classic noir. 
As such, there'll be periods when noir, whatever you choose to mean by the term, will seem fresh to a large enough subset of the population to be eminently marketable. Dang, what is it this week with these thoughtful and scholarly answers? Stop it! All I know is I am more, never more glad than right now that we have 264 plus episodes before us because it's probably the only thing keeping those two people from having their own podcast. Seriously, yeah, you don't want to do it. Being, having your oh, own podcast is a terrible, terrible five idea. Five years. Ooh, look how no, far we've years. come in oh. five years. Look at all five that work. I.e., not far at all. But. Yeah. No. Roland Hardy... Okay, Strap In says, yes, there's room for good, legitimate film noir. Cool. That's it. Nice. Short to the point. Like a bullet hitting a thing. I told you I can't do noir similes, okay? (laughs) No, you really can't. Go back to butts and giggling. (laughs) (laughs) Butts. (laughs) And, of course, our expert on black and white, because, of course, that's what penguins are. Up from the snowy north, snowy himself, Vince says noir can definitely be applied to new films, and I am sure, like Western films, sci-fi, and other genres, will be mixed with other styles, as this series has already shown. Thank you. And twisted in new ways by clever filmmakers. One thing that should not come back is the omnipresent narration. Mm. I don't like it in classic noir much, but nowadays it just seems a cheap way to make something seem noir and rarely works. Blade Runner is so much better without it, for example. Oh, yes. No argument here, Vince. Yeah. It's our entire episode on Blade Runner. The right one. (laughs) Yeah. But thank you, folks. We didn't get as many answers, but boy, the ones we got were amazing. Yeah, I'll say. (laughs) Very thoughtful. Really, don't do your own podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, there's not enough room. No, there there aren't any more. (laughs) <laughs> that we've used them all up. There's no more room for all new the, podcasts. Sorry. All the invite codes have been given out. <laughs> yeah, what he said. But because we like your answers so much, we want more! Well, wait, 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 wait. You haven't answered the question. Is there still haven't room for I? noir? No, you haven't. I totally have. I just... it. You can't hear it because it's in the overdub narration I'm going to add later. Yeah, You're not the sound editor. Would you like to be? No. I didn't think so. So... Do you think yeah. there's still room for noir in today's cinema? I do, absolutely. The whole post-ironic, post-modern stuff, that does not preclude noir. It doesn't preclude the elegance of the visual style, and it sure as hell doesn't preclude the whole, as Val points out, the knowing something is wrong and doing it anyway attitude. What about you? You think so? I think noir needs to break away from the time period. I think uh. most of the times noir is manifested for want of a better term it has to do something somewhere with the 40s or the 50s even last week's film dark city which we liked very much and has a very science fiction aspect to it and brings Mm. in a very interesting speculative fiction kind of um central idea is still visually referencing the 40s so Mm. and you know uh what was la confidential same thing a lot of these films that are being made in well of course that was in the 90s wasn't it (laughs) I was going to say current day. So that's only yeah. 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Sh- shut up. <laughs> I think that there needs to be ways that its ideas and its even its visual cues are more referencing today and not referencing the past. I think that's where noir needs to grow in general. Now, have I seen yeah. every neo-noir film out there? No. In fact, we're going to talk about one today. Yeah. But that being said, a lot of times... 
we're hearkening back to something that happened before as opposed to using that idea or those ideas and those visual cues towards something current or even futuristic. So that's the only thing I have to say. Yes, room, okay. but yes. growth, please. Very cool. And as I say, we want more of your answers to feed our insatiable hunger for poll question answers. <laughs> and uh, this one's inspired possibly by this week's and apparently next week's movie, what is your favorite example of one country successfully making a movie in a genre associated with a different country? Hmm. An American samurai movie, an Italian cowboy movie, a Russo-Finnish Sinbad movie, you know. <laughs> you know full well that was not a Sinbad movie. He's not Sinbad! <laughs> Can I get some water, please? <laughs> Sorry, deeper from Mystery Science Theater. So, and we will tell you at the end of the show, we will reveal the secret location where you may deposit your answers. How the hell am I going to pare that down to fit in that little box on Facebook? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you can leave out the, the examples. Mm, sure. Mm -hmm. but, but now, stuff about the movie. The facts. There wasn't all that much to find about this in terms of trivia of the specific movie. But the budget was about $20 million. 1966, and by the way, that was pared down. Apparently the producers didn't really like this movie, didn't like what uh, Mr. Suzuki was doing, so they tried to cut his budget, and he said, hold my sake. Uh, okay. This, this whole movie was shot and edited in 28 days. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> the film has been described as a surreal, highly stylized transformation of the standard Yakuza movie into pop art. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, we'll come back to that. The colorful style of the classic anime Lupin III from 1971 was inspired by this film. Both feature characters in brightly colored suits, has a weird, comically playful undertone, and has a general emphasis on entertainment over logic, over any semblance of logic. Uh, uh, maybe. The opening of this film people have argued that this movie has had a lot of influence on a lot of people and one of them is quentin tarantino if you notice what, what? Kill, bill, kill bill volume one pays homage to this film in that both are black and white before the opening credits and then in color after the opening credits for reasons well at least he was doing an homage I don't know what Suzuki was doing with that. Well, now, see, Dave actually, our, our one of our listeners, Dave Mackman, actually pointed yes. this out a couple of weeks ago in an answer to a different poll question. He said that they was, film was so budgeted, they ran out of money for color film. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> so that's that would why. Uh, I that mean, artistic sense. reasons. <laughs> Various shots of Tokyo were used to establish the setting as the then-contemporary post-1964 Japan. Suzuki drew inspiration from a lot of different sources, including musical films from the 50s, pop art, absurdist comedy, and surrealist film. Hmm. One of the things in this movie that just baffled me, because I have not, maybe you've run into this or noticed it in other movies, the seals. There's mm -hmm. a whole thing about when they're trying to get people to, they're forcing people to sign documents, they're always saying, use your seal. These are. This is a big deal in Japan. In the the Hanko slash Inkan thing, which is a personal signature seal. If you're interested in the old days, Hanko was the actual stamp, and Inkan is the impression made on a document originally. Now they're kind of interchangeable. 
There are all kinds of these seals. There's casual ones, there's formal ones, there's business-level ones. The business-level ones have to be registered at City Hall or a local government office. Hmm. I don't know why. I don't know why this is different than a signature, but every time, apparently, in Japan, people start to try to get rid of the seals, people don't want to. Well, it's tradition. But I guess. It was just fascinating, because I'd never seen that. Well, sure you have. I mean, the, the Pope has that special ring that they have to bash the off signi- his finger to make sure he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've seen seals uh, in the past, but it's usually either for, like, archaic organizations, like the Catholic Church, <laughs> or in, you know, historical dramas. I didn't know they were still used in the 20th and 21st centuries. Well, not by us, but obviously it's other cultures. fascinating. Yeah. And now we get to the part I've been kind of dreading. Oh, and now wait, is that it for trivia? Oh, yes. I think that's all I have. You got anything? Well, I did look a little bit into this because I was wondering about this, because there's a lot of Western elements in this film. And it Ooh, turns yeah. out that there, there was a, a time period of in Japan where they had something called the Japanese New Wave, which was coming out the same mm. time the French New Wave was coming out. And the French New Wave was basically all about the auteur, how the director was the creator of a film and then the big studios can can go suck it or whatever and that it was all about personal statements and personal visions and stuff like that and the japanese were doing the same thing and some people thought the japanese were copying the french except it turns out that was happening at the same time so oh wild yeah not really but interestingly the japanese new wave started off in the studio system as opposed to bucking the studio system so like rashomon the first i think it's the first Mm. big um Kurosawa film was done in the studio, but he was using a lot of Western ideas and Western um, approaches to filmmaking to make that. And it did well enough that, you know, he would eventually become Akira Kurosawa. Before that, he wasn't. Yes. But before that, he was Bob. Bob Kurosawa. Yeah. He <laughs> ran a, a noodle shop down. You know, I'm totally making that up. Yeah. Yeah. So, 50s through the 70s. And there was a bunch of directors. Interestingly, one place I looked said that Rashomon was kind of the beginning of the Japanese new wave and another place I looked didn't even mention Kurosawa as being part of it so because Kurosawa tended to stay in the studio as far as I know is he's still coming out from Toho um, which is one of the big series or big studios yeah. over there but it was dealing with things that weren't traditional Japanese culture things, some of the violence. Apparently softcore is a really big thing over there for, even okay. today, for uh, not just New Wave, but for other things that are considered, you know, Japanese cinema. But um, Suzuki is also in that uh, list of people who did film, so that works out here. But they would tackle things like juvenile delinquency, radical politics, uninhibited sexuality, uh, actually showing roles of women that were not the usual. Um, We don't really flex that much here, but apparently that would become a thing. Um, Apparently racism would often show up in Japanese New Wave films, but they also started in the studio system and then moved out to become more independent. But then TV showed up and ruined everything. <laughs> more or less. Wow, cool. Oh, I, I did also want to point out, while I, I, the budget for this movie was $20 million, I couldn't find the take, mm. how much it made, but it was apparently a commercial failure. It, huh. A lot of people have argued that it was too far ahead of its time. That's interesting. Well, it's hard for us to look at that, right? Because we're looking at it from a totally yeah. different time period and point of view. Yep. But, eh. uh, yeah. But now we get to the interesting part, the plot. Hmm. Tetsuya 
also called Phoenix Tetsu, is a gangster, the right-hand man of Boss Kurata. Tetsuya is also involved with a beautiful nightclub singer named Chiharu, although we just sort of have to take that on faith as we almost never see them together except when they don't quite say goodbye to each other. But Boss Kurata wants to go straight and go into business. But that's not okay with Boss Otsuka, who wants a building that Kurata owns and does many gangster things to get it. People get murdered, including a loan broker and his treacherous secretary who laughs way too hard when reading manga. <laughs> For reasons, Kurata and Tetsuya decide that the best thing is for Tetsuya to leave Tokyo and become a drifter. But not just any kind of drifter, a Tokyo drifter, as we hear several people, including Tetsuya, sing about many times. By the way, that's him singing the opening theme. That's oh, the actual actor, Tetsuya Watari. I don't feel cheated then. <laughs> but that's not enough for boss Otsuka. Apparently he wants Tetsuya out of the way, so he dispatches Viper Tetsu, the natural enemy of the Phoenix Tetsu, mm. to kill him. Viper is not a very good hitman. Maybe because he spends so much time drinking out of his flask, so he fails a lot. Still, Tetsuya doesn't seem to want to kill him, for reasons. Tetsuya gets help from a fellow drifter called Shooten Star, also Keiichi. Tetsuya travels to the city of Sasebo, on the Isle of Kyushu, where a friend of Mr. Karata's, Mr. Umetani, runs a western-style saloon. Like you do. <laughs> Naturally, there's a huge Mel Brooksian bar fight. <laughs> but now, Karata wants to be friends with Otsuka, so he betrays Tetsuya and orders Umetani to kill him. Umetani tries to do so, but not very hard, and eventually just lets Tetsuya go because he's just too pretty to kill, I guess. <laughs> Tetsuya returns to Tokyo for a brutal and very stylized bloody vengeance where many people are shot in the shadow of a giant donut. <laughs> Mr. Karata kills, him, kills himself in remorse, and Tetsuya returns to drifting because, well, that's the title of the film. Oh, and there's a bunch of harmonica music. And snow. My head hurts. The film. First thing I have to say, it's not a yeah. donut. <laughs> it looked like a donut. It's meant to represent the world. It was obviously Atlas. I'm sorry. It was obvious to most people. <laughs> I thought it was a donut. To them, what's got pointy heads like Max, it's not Ooh, so obvious. Donuts. <laughs> so I'm oh. going to take a wild guess that you yeah. have never seen this before. I have never, I have never seen this. Uh, I've only heard about it from the a few people who made suggestions, and including Dave, mm. and looking up on lists of great no international noir movies. This is on most of them. Mm -hmm. Had had you seen this? I had not. Although yeah. I kept thinking I had. <laughs> no, I kept watching this going, have I seen this? And I'm honestly huh. not 100% sure. The reason being, remember we talked a couple weeks ago how about I, when I got COVID, I wanted to watch a lot of like, yeah. you know, heist films and then like um, thriller films. I think I watched a different Suzuki film. Oh, okay. He's done a bunch. Yeah. And I think and it was very good. And I think that there was elements in here that reminded me of that. But again, I wasn't in my right frame of mind. So I don't think I've seen it. 
I, I would also like to point out if this movie were any more 60s, Austin Powers would have time traveled into it. Oh, that club, the one that's oh. owned by Karate, it's like, okay, why is it not shot off angle? No, no, because that's, that's it's Asuka's club. It's Asuka's no, club. No, it's Karate's club. The one where the where she the sings. Dancing? Where she sings. Oh, 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 the one with the yellow piano. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, There's a couple okay, of clubs. When's the Riddler coming out? Because this is a Batman <laughs> villain's lair if I've ever it, seen one. Or the mu- or the one that Otsuka wants, the manhole music tea room. Somehow not a gay club. I don't yeah, know how it's not, but it's not. <laughs> I kept waiting for someone to say, it's a swinging scene, baby. Yeah, it totally is. And they have a they have a glass floor so they can look they up women's do. skirts. <laughs> yes, they do. They don't show them so doing 60s. that, but we know that's why it's there. That's what it's for. Yeah. But uh, let, let's talk a little about the cast, shall we? Sure. <laughs> now, I, there is actually one person in this movie I recognized. Okay, I didn't recognize him because I'd only seen him in a movie in stuff from 30 years later, and Dave told me it was the same actor. And that's oh. our star, Tetsuya Watari, okay. guy who plays Phoenix, Phoenix Tetsu. Which is, I yeah, believe, I saw- the word for iron. So he is the iron phoenix. Tetsu is iron. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's right. Tetsu Chocho, iron butterfly, right? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't except, sound like either a password or something you should never, ever say to somebody. <laughs> yeah. But Tetsu Watari, I saw him like 20 years later in a series about the Shinsengumi, who were an Edo period. Well, that's a whole story behind them, but they're sort of like an early police force or hired thugs, depending who's telling the story. Edo period, that's when they moved the capital over to Tokyo, right? What is now Tokyo? Sort of. It's the uh, beginning, it's the end of the Tokugawa shogunate, or... That's when I were, con- isn't there was when power was no, trying to be consolidated to- into one place? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But uh, he's very different in that. I mean, he's this, he's this leader, he's got all this gravitas, and he's very scowly, and... He's very cool in it. He's got incredible presence. I never thought of him as a pretty boy. And he's so pretty in this. He's very handsome. He's Yeah. And there's going to be knew? other uh, connections here, but he's very speed racerish. <laughs> he is. He has a lot of speed racerisms. <laughs> well, so I bring that up because later on he goes and meets that other guy uh, whose his name Shoot. is um Shooting Star. Shooting Star is the name of Shooting Star. Shooting Star, Shooting Star (laughs) is the name of Racer X's car. So, oh, I forgot that. Yeah. So I no, there's no connection. (laughs) I mean, I think the manga and the TV show were being made at the same time this was. So whatever. Okay. But I couldn't help but notice that because I'm a huge Speed Racer fan. There's uh, Ryuji Kita who plays Kurata, the treacherous gang boss. Sure. Yeah, I, I, he do, he does a fine job. Look, I, I don't get it. Honestly, the performances in this are not the strong suit. That's not what we're here for. Uh, no, but I would like to counter with pretty much everything we know about these characters comes from the performance. There's no exposition really at all. There's very yeah, little. We found it. True. Okay, Karada, oh, he's given up his ways of being a Yakuza. Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Do we, is he married? How old is he? Did Was he a big crime yeah. boss? We don't know. It all he, has to come from the per- performances because there's nothing He treats else. Tetsu as a son. Does he not have any children of his own? Is that part of it? We don't know. No. And yeah. it's really interesting. This is one of the big differences that I sometimes note in Japanese storytelling from Western storytelling is in a way it doesn't matter because the characters are almost more archetypes than actual people. And I think that there's meant to be more audience substitution than there is generally in American films. Mm. 
Okay. In fact, I've read about manga artists who specifically make their heroes as plain or detailless as possible, so that the reader can more easily put themselves in the place. Ah, uh, yeah. They, they, a lot of young adult uh, writers do that in America now. They they make the main character a cipher that the uh, reader can project themselves into. And sometimes it works really well. And sometimes yeah. you sit there and wonder in seventh year why Harry can't repair his own goddamn glasses. <laughs> I, just, you know, okay. Yeah. Oh, how do I do that again? I've forgotten over these seven years. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's... And I don't know. I'm not really a scholar of foreign film or Japanese film but that's what I've seen like a lot of times the characters are really almost and I wonder if this goes back to things like kabuki shows and um, bunraku which is puppet theater and that is that it is meant to be more of a not an archetype or a more of a type of person than it is meant to be a specific historic person it may be a lot of yeah a lot of them are supposed to be sort of well we would call stereotypes but uh, yeah and yeah. it, it's hard for us, too, because, you know, it's a foreign language film, so it's harder for us to gauge the performances, right? Because we don't... Yeah. We assume... We don't... Well, and something we found out literally 10 seconds before the show, we didn't watch exactly the same film. Max yeah, was watching... Yeah, both, criter yep. both Criterion Collection versions, but in mine, people keep yelling out at each other, pal! And in like mine, it was bro. <laughs> <laughs> so... Part of the performance, of course, is gauged through the lens of the subtitles, because we mm. have to assume what they're telling us is true, but we don't really know. I don't think it clashed anywhere. Uh, I, Did you have a favorite, sort of, how about this, do you have a favorite performer in this film? Do you think there was somebody that stood out to you? I like the guy who, I liked uh, Takeshi Yoshida, who played Keiichi, uh, shooting star. Yeah. I thought he was very cool. It's funny that you mentioned the Racer X <laughs> uh, connection because it's very similar. He's in some ways bigger, tougher, and honestly, a lot cooler looking, I think, than Tetsu. Tetsu. Well, that powder blue suit's not doing anybody in here. And the white shoes, <laughs> it's like, come on. I, the, yeah, the costumes in this are remarkable. They're very much for style. Oh, everything's for style. Yeah, er, this is very much appearance. This is very much style over actual narrative, but uh, we'll get to that too. Yeah. I I would say he I, I like the the combination of Phoenix and Shooting Star, um, or Tetsu. I guess everyone called him Tetsu yeah. as opposed to Phoenix, um, yeah. which of course is an interesting name because it means that he's going to burn and be reborn, which sort of happens in the film. Yeah, kind of right in the beginning, but sure. But it's almost a bromance, right? Because yeah. Tetsu can't see where he's going, and Shooting Star is like, oh, oh yeah, oh kid, yeah, yeah, I know where you're going to be in five years because that's where I yeah. am now. I've seen it all, and I know what's going on. It's like you shouldn't trust Yakuza bosses. A more, I don't know, honest and bright thing I've never heard in a Yakuza <laughs> film. You know, you shouldn't trust Yakuza bosses. Yeah, yeah. Like you think that'd be kind of obvious, but no. Apparently, uh, yeah. Tetsu has to learn that the hard way. I think that. Chiharu or Chiharu is she did fine. Um, I don't yeah. know if it's really her singing or not, but uh, I think it is. That's Chieko Matsubara, and I believe that is her actual voice. She does fine, but she doesn't have much to do. No, neither does the giggly secretary, whose name I'm not sure of. Well, she dies. Yeah, she just gets <laughs> killed. That's pretty much it. Honestly, again, the the guy who plays uh, boss Otsuku, uh, I'm probably I'm pronouncing that Otsuka? name wrong again. Otsuka, excuse me. Yeah, uh, who is a? I'm going to get this one wrong. A Amy Esumi. Amy Esumi. He's fine. He's a good evil, you know, blah ha ha. Yeah. 
Uh, oh, I must not take off my sunglasses. <laughs> and Why? look concerned. And, <laughs> and now I will not be seen with my sunglasses for a while, and now they're back. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's hard for us to judge. I think everyone yeah. does fine. I think that there are other things in this film that might distract, but that's not mm. their fault. Again, yeah. they're speaking Japanese. We don't. We'll take their yeah. word for it. So, the movie itself. Yeah. The editing in this is very confusing to me. In what way? We, we jump from scene to scene where there is a sequence at one point where uh, uh, his girlfriend, Chiaru, is in the back of a car, obviously being kidnapped by a couple of bad guys' men, of uh, Atsuka's men. Mm. And suddenly it turns out the driver is Tetsu. Yeah. And he starts flailing the car all over the place, and they're all, ah, ah. And then suddenly they're back at Chiaru's apartment. We don't see him rescue her. We don't see what happens. We we can fill that in, and I know that often happens in at least manga, where they they don't show. They allow the audience to fill in the detail. Right. But it's kind of jarring because it jump cuts from this car screeching around in a riverbed or some such, and suddenly they're in a taxi, and it's like, okay, have a good night. You want to come in for tea? No, good night. I. It's like scene missing here. <laughs> I actually didn't have a problem with that. Huh. And I've seen it in American film, too, where there will be a very big cut. It's like, why is it? Why are we looking at a river? I, th I swore we were just in a gunfight. What's the river for? And I think that there's a lot more symbolism going on in, uh, and as you said, the, the willingness to let the audience fill in the rest. And also, <laughs> if Dave is correct, there are budgetary <laughs> reasons that that scene's not there. I didn't have a problem with that. I understand why it can be jarring, though. I just, for some reason, it didn't strike me. Okay. Because it, it happens a bunch. Suddenly, we will leap. There's some scene where Tetsu is yelling, Stop your practical jokes at someone. I'm not sure what the joke was. And then that scene stops right there, and we're in an entirely different scene. Well, that's because they stopped their practical jokes. I guess they did. <laughs> I was very interested in that black and white opening, and it was a. I, initially, I thought, "Hey, this is a really interesting stylistic choice." And then, of course, I remembered, "Oh no, they ran out of money for color film." <laughs> but the thing about it is, it's exceedingly high contrast. There's almost yeah. no gray tone in it. It's very. Yeah. To the point of almost being overexposed. And it looked kind of washed out to me. It was actually hard to see some of it. And I was wondering if you couldn't take this as symbolism for black and white. The, you know, in our sides of things, black being the dark side of, of society, the Yakuza, and the white being the rest of the world, the light, you know, that part. Of course, white, I think, is actually the traditional color for death in of Japan. Death. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, I have reading that backwards, but... I thought it was a very interesting thing. The only thing that threw me is I initially thought it was a flashback because that's what we often do. Ah, okay, and so yeah. then we realized, no, of course, he gets really roughed up, uh, apparently, in yeah. that opening bit because the next time we see him, he's literally doing the little Kirk wipe of the, of the blood on his yeah, chin. He has one little scratch <laughs> on his cheek and we see him taking bandages off his face. That don't seem to have been covering any actual injuries, because he's still real pretty. Finnegan! Um, yeah. <laughs> so I don't, for some reason, it should bother me, because there's this black and white sequence for no reason, but it kind of doesn't. I think okay. it's, I'm going to say it was one of those happy accidents where it's like, oh, we don't have color film. Oh, use this black and white. Oh, it looks great. And they, it somehow it, it, it's fine. I didn't have a there problem. Are some, there are some sequences that are very strange in this. At one point, 
Viper Tetsu is chasing Phoenix Tetsu. I assume to kill him, although it's hard to tell because Viper does not try very hard to kill him. Well, there are many points where he has a clear shot at his back and doesn't take it. I think that's the key. It's a shot at his but back. He uh, so, doesn't seem to have that much of a moral compass, though. I want to come back to this, if we can. The only reason is, is that, mm. I, for me, this is going to be part of the question as to whether this is noir or not. Because I think that that's going to be an interesting discussion when we get to it. But we have other things I'd like to get in here, if we can. If that, is that okay? If you, or if you'd rather yeah, do it now, ahead. it's fine. Go cool. ahead. Um, yep. That opening song sounded familiar. I didn't realize okay. how familiar it was going to sound by the end of the film. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a lot like uh, The Long Goodbye, where all the music is that one song. Yeah. We hear this song, Tokyo Drifter, or the, Dr excuse me, the Drifter from Tokyo, a lot. Yes, we do. Um, Max, let me ask you this. Do you think that that's an element that worked in this film? I guess. I mean, it gives it a sort of a consistent thread. Mostly, I just kind of got sick of the song. I will agree. Um, yeah. They did give us the, the lyrics every time so that we could either yep. sing along or we could then realize <laughs> what important statement was being made that we'd heard 10 minutes ago. Uh, it reminded me, unfortunately, of a Japanese TV show, a superhero TV show called Kikaider. And Kikaider is, in his normal everyday wear, wears denim jacket and denim pants and a cowboy hat and has a guitar. And what happens through every episode is bad guys show up and do bad guy stuff with the new monster of the week. And then suddenly, as they're about to take the, the innocent people down or do horrible things, you hear a guitar, the camera pans up, and sitting on top of a building is Kikaider playing this song. And he's like, basically, hey, I'm pretty cool. You know what? You guys are bad. I'm going to come down and kick your ass. And then he turns into Kikaider, and that's what happens. So every time okay. Tetsu sings this song, I'm like, is he going to henshin? Are we going to get... <laughs> well, he has his little sort of grace notes he has, he sings the song or he whistles right and i think he's whistling the song too right and he whistles at the strangest times it's not like i'm whistling before i kick your ass or i'm whistling just to let you know i'm here yeah he just starts doing it yeah just to remind us what it, movie we're watching i guess there was a sequence i still don't get okay like i said viper tetsu is chasing him into a junkyard right Oh, the goldfinger and we scene. Get a, we get an extended sequence watching a car go into a car crusher and get melted and crushed and then dropped out. Well, it's symbolic. And then they go back to them. It's symbolic. Of? Your life, too, can fall <laughs> into a car crusher of, of uh, determination yeah. and... Uh, uh, <laughs> All, the only thing I could see is, is this like showing that, like... Tetsu is getting, you know, he's getting crushed down to his core elements. He's being... Or, or did they just have this film sequence lying around and they said, well, we need a few more minutes. I don't know what that's doing there because I thought, oh, this is leading up to he's going to push Viper into a car crusher. That's how he's going to get... Nope! He just punches him a few times and leaves. Well, and it does remind me of that very same scene in Goldfinger two years earlier where they put a car and a crusher and we spend a few minutes watching it be crushed except in well, this yeah, case but that actually has a, something to do with the plot yeah i'm sure it's symbolic and mm. it's just because you're ignorant of all of the japanese symbolism I that guess. you don't understand 
I guess that's it. <laughs> I guess that's it. There's a lot of Western symbolism in here, oh, yeah. too. You cannot tell me the Ace of Spades means anything in traditional Japanese culture. Oh, please. Did you notice that all the bad guys drive big, fat American cars? Yeah, yep. And, like, they get back oh, to the yeah. end, and it's like, oh, here we have an American-themed nightclub called not western saloon but saloon western because yep. yeah it's like cafe american i guess but i hate, but, to, I hate to say it but just going into that club this oh, film brother. has more black people in it than some of the other <laughs> noir films we've seen that is true there are actual black people in this movie yeah they're all and surprisingly white people too considering everyone almost everyone's japanese but in this club there's clearly all all the westerners in kyushu are here yeah, well, there's probably a, a Navy base there. That's my guess. <laughs> and all I could think when the fight starts is, they hit Buddy! Get him, girls! Well, and there Out is of kind of that scene. saddles. <laughs> there's that kind of that scene where the, the women dancers, performers, or whatever, are all sitting in the bar, and they hit... What are they, are they hitting them with baguettes? What are they hitting them with? I think they're bottles. They're clonking these guys, and they're all chanting something. Yeah, and they're all calling them oh. chicken and stuff. And, in English, yeah. they're yelling, you are chicken, you are chicken. Yeah. I, and then hitting them on the head. Sure. I Whatever. Um, I, I can see the whole getting from the, the screwball comedy stuff. Well, that whole uh, sequence is, is right out of a, a 50s um, musical of some sort from America. Yeah. I will say, though, that the visually... It's a very pretty film to look at. The One of the yeah. things that struck me is, I guess when they were shooting in Tokyo, they fired everyone who lived in Tokyo because there's no people <laughs> around at all. Yeah, Tokyo is empty. Yeah, but it's... And he's paring everything down. When he shows... This is something that's very common in Japanese ma uh, manga and in anime, is they really like to set the scene. They really like you to know where you are. So you'll get a number of shots of things like, oh, we're in an industrial park somewhere, or we're near the seaside, or whatever. And it'll just be these very stark images of the minimal a number of things you need to know where you are. And a lot of the shots when things start happening are one and two shots. There's only a couple of people in them. There's very few colors. Tetsu's suit is, stands out because everything else is kind of various yeah, shades kind of, of gray. Drab. Yeah. And a really interesting use of the color red. Red seems to signify either violence we're not going to show you or something bad's about to happen, but there's always this yeah. splash of red, which I actually yeah. thought was really cool. That's a nice touch, the little signature in effect. Yeah, and I wondered, I tried to look this up and I couldn't find out, I wondered if there was a lot of restrictions on showing actual blood and stuff in Japanese cinema, and of course, if I had watched enough samurai films, I would know that the answer is no. But this film... <laughs> Certain types of samurai films are very careful about that. You don't see very much blood. Maybe you see a little on the sword. Well... Maybe you see a little on the clothing. And then there's another style where it's like you hit a high-pressure hose and there's arterial spray everywhere. Well, interestingly, when I was trying to look this up, one of the examples they brought up was from Yojimbo. And they show this uh. point where um, I'm pretty sure it is Toshiro Mifune, and he's facing off with the lead bad guy, and they both yeah. have their ready to pull their swords, and they stand there for like 25 seconds, and they're not moving, and suddenly they draw and... Yeah, attack charge and yeah. Mufune wins. But what happened was that the thing that was supposed to have blood pump out of his opponent 
malfunctioned and it oh. set out this high pressure spray. It was like almost <laughs> huge, Sam Peckinpah esque. Yeah, yeah, buckets of blood, literally. And apparently yeah. it was a mistake. Like that wasn't what it was supposed oh. to be, and they left it in. And that's why a lot of anime works that way. It's like, oh well, they did it in those classic films. We can do it. Th there is one ver shot where we see fair amount of blood, and yes. that is when Boss Karada cuts his wrist. Right. He, ja oh, he jabs and a piece of glass into his wrist, yeah. and then it spurts. Or there's a guy who gets somehow shot in the eye and doesn't die. Yeah, technically it could have bounced off the uh, occipital ridge, but or not the occipital, excuse me, the orbital ridge. Sure. Um, it does happen. You can, If he had been hit at an angle. But yeah, that's very... People get shot a lot and don't die in this. Viper loses some fingers yeah. to a train. He gets hit with a shaving bowl in the face, I think. Or something. Ends up scarred. He should be dead several times over. But eventually, he kills himself. Yeah. And I... Yeah, we're, we'll get to that. Uh -huh. <laughs> Sorry, there's still some things. There's some special effects scenes in this that really kind of don't work um and it's when the budget or lack uh, 20 million dollars whatever um it it get we get a little threadbare there's one scene with tetsu walking in front of a very obvious backdrop i think he's oh, singing yeah. and it's snowing and it's like you can see his shadow on the backdrop or it's the same when they're standing on the train tracks, he's facing Viper, and you can see that he's in front of a green screen. You can see yeah. the mat lines around him. Well, there's also, we see a long shot of the train coming up the tracks, and it's obvious that the actors at some point were on the track. But just yeah. as the train is getting close to Tetsu, he literally disappears, almost, <laughs> perhaps, like somebody cut the film. Uh, so there's definitely some stuff in here that just really for me, took me out of the film, and it's they seem to be budgetary reasons, but $20 million seems a lot for 66. Um, yeah. I mean, Star Wars was made for eight, so... <laughs> I, you know. I don't know, maybe it was all travel sure budget. It 20 the, million yen? No, I think it, that's it. I checked in a couple of places. 20 million U.S. Yeah. Huh. There's also things that I... Symbols that they pop up that I'm sure that I just... I, I know it's a symbol and I don't get it. So there's a, there's this tree. There's this old tree. And it is smack dab in the middle of the frame. And we see it a couple of times during the daytime and a couple of times at night. And they just, like, that's the only thing. It's sky and that tree. Yeah, and, I figured it was the type of tree had to mean something. Well, I have no idea what it was. I wondered if it wasn't reminiscent of a character, right? A Japanese character. Oh. Like, maybe it looks sort of like a character for the wind or the passage of time. I don't know. But it's there's definitely things that we're sitting there going, yeah, I don't get it. And I know he's doing it on purpose because he literally is the same shot twice. It wasn't even like the same yeah. tree. It was literally the same shot. But the economy of his shots, the meaning that there's the, the lack of extra elements that would just otherwise confuse the viewer, I actually thought was kind of, it was a nice breath of fresh air. Right? Because it felt very composed and it felt very simplified. And I really appreciated that. Because again, we're not dealing with real people, we're dealing more with archetypes. What do you think? Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. The narrative choices to me, though, are very strange. And I remember Dave has told me about this. Okay. He says that Japanese film doesn't use American narrative structure. No. And, in fact, is still, he thinks, struggling with finding its own. Hmm. I notice whenever there a couple of points where there is a very elegant exit moment, they they break it. 
When Tetsu is about to leave Boss Karada, he's saying, I am going. He says, yes, I know. Here, take some money. And he's walking, and he opens the door, walks out, and Karada goes, wait, come back. Huh? What? I've got an idea. I'm going to call my friend, and you go see. So, oh, you just had this really good exit, and you decided to do it again. Then he, he leaves a second time, and it loses a lot of the impact. It's the same when he meets Shootin' Star, and Shootin' Star has taken him back to his room, and not that way, and is because uh, <laughs> he's been shot in the arm. Apparently that bothers him. All the other damage he's taken in this movie, he shakes off. But the bullet in the arm he can't handle, so he bandages him up, says, I'm going to leave now. Yes. You know. Look, thank you. Yeah. And he walks out. And then he comes back in with a blanket and goes, I saw your eyes. Uh, okay. I don't know what happened there. With two men in a blanket, I'll tell you what happened. I saw your eyes. <laughs> I, <laughs> no. Honestly, I thought they had more chemistry than Tetsu did with his girlfriend. But uh, oh, and Tetsu doesn't want chemistry with his girlfriend. No, he's, yes, a drifter needs no woman. And let me sing that, that for you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, I also wondered. I wondered, and I'm surprised this hasn't popped up yet. But um, were they doing product placement for hair dryers? I was wondering about that. <laughs> we see a lot of hair dryers very close up. And I have in my notes. Suddenly, I'm thirsty for Charm Lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best part is there's two different brands of hair dryer, yes. and she's using one and, and commenting, "Oh, isn't this hair dryer wonderful?" And they're talking. They do a you close up it, of yeah. the box. To tell and the and the poster yeah. of for the product which she has on the wall of her dressing room. And then later, Tetsu finds a hair dryer and he's playing with it, although his hair is obviously dry. And <laughs> isn't it shooting Star who comes and is like, "Hey, what's that you're using? Why it's not yep. Charm Lady? It's Super yeah. Bro or whatever." Oh, maybe that's where they were trying to. They were desperately getting money. They needed to do product placement. It was just weird. Um, it, it, that's one of the. I don't know if that was meant to be like a moment of humor. You were talking about how they would use weird moments of because it was funny, but it didn't feel like it was supposed to be. No, it felt out of place. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the, what was happening there again, unless he was making a comment on product placement, which in the sixties wouldn't have even been a thing. Not, Not yet. Really? No. Weird. No. Just okay. But you know, I am going to go buy a charm lady. <laughs> My hair, it's, I can't do a thing with it. But do you want to get to that question, the one that I keep putting off to the side? Yeah, that hit me. Not whether the movie's good or bad or not, yeah. in our, no, no. our opinion, but is we'll this there. noir? Max, is Tokyo Drifter noir? Yeah, I think it is. Why? Visually, no. It's, it's well, too brightly lit. <laughs> except for the opening section. Except for the opening <laughs> section, it's the it's too vivid. It's too brightly lit. There's a couple of scenes in the dark, but not much. But the attitude again. You have the bad the the guy who is a bad guy, technically, because he you know everyone in this is yakuza. Mm -hmm. But Tetsu is also sort of honorable, and he seems to want to do the right thing, and he wants to protect his father figure who betrays him. There's betrayal. There's you know, murder. I, I think that I could definitely see this as noir in terms of the themes, mm -hmm. not the look and not the style, because this thing is a mishmash of so many different styles. What about you? What do you think? Well, I'm definitely going to agree that the themes are there, the double cross, murder, the lower yeah, edges of yeah. society. That being said, we talked about the long goodbye 
which is a film that takes place almost entirely in the daytime. And we had no yeah. problem with that as a noir either. And maybe nope. this is a way that we, you know, when I was talking earlier about bringing noir into current day, that you could still be noir and not have to deal with those elements that were made traditional back in the 40s. Yeah. I think that while it could be considered noir, and we're probably leaning towards that neo-noir we brought up a number of episodes mm. ago, I yeah. honestly think this is more of a samurai movie. Especially well, at the end. I would, we, no, it's not a samurai movie. It's a Yakuza movie. But and that's very different. Is and that's, it? That is a traditional style, too. The Yakuza or gangster movie, that's a, re, that's a major trope in, in Japanese cinema. But the main character is obsessed with honor and the dealings between people and how they're treated the way the samurai were. And he's a loner, which samurai often were. And they were often... Especially at the end when everyone was like, we don't want samurai anymore. And the samurai like, yes, you do. And the society was like, no, we don't. They were often, there would be the few good ones we would watch. Like the, you know, lone wolf and cub and stuff like that. And as honor is such, at least for him, is so central to this film. I find it more of a samurai film than I find it anything else. Yes, Yakuza is part of it. But he lives by a code. And he won't do anything to or about Karada to the very end when Karada is basically like, yeah, we got a problem and its name is Tetsuha uh, uh, Phoenix. So, yeah, okay, I guess. So, and that's like the Lords giving up on them too, right? Because the Lords eventually yeah. would be sell out the samurai. And so for me, it's a samurai noir. And like they're using guns through most of it. But then there's one point where he goes to, um, was it Kyoto or Kyushu? I can't remember where. Kyushu. Kyushu, where... All the neighborhoods are all traditional-looking Japanese, and then the bad guys come out, and they've got katanas and stuff, and it's like they're going to do an old-time hit, and it's like, all right, you're really referencing a samurai film now. Yeah, no, admittedly, I was like, wait, it's 1966, why are you guys all carrying swords? And it's like, of course you're all getting shot. You have swords, <laughs> and the other guys have guns. Are you stupid? Yeah. And I think that that explains also why Tetsu acts the way he does with Viper. Because to him... And I think that Viper is trying to be like Tetsu. They're both Tetsu. Viper is trying to be like Phoenix because Phoenix basically shows up and he throws off everything, right? Whenever he's involved, apparently everything goes for Karata and goes badly for everybody else, which is why they try to get rid of him. And Viper wants to be like that. He wants to be as good. He wants to be that big of a variable, that much of a, a swing of things. And he isn't. So I think I that's know. why I, I, he doesn't shoot him in the back, because he's like, well, he doesn't do it, so I'm not going to do it. I, I guess so. I, I think you got more out of Viper than I did. Viper seemed a lot more two-dimensional to me. He just seemed like, ah, I am the hardened killer. I will kill Agger. Well, everybody uh, is. So mm-hmm. is Tetsu Phoenix, right? Because what do we know about him? He's a loner, and he doesn't want a girlfriend. <laughs> and he believes in honor. That's it. That's really all we know. He believe he never says honor, at least in, not in the subtitles I no. saw. He believes in loyalty. Yes, and he is, and as he says, I hate an ungrateful man. Oh, see, for me, it was I hate a oh, what, it wasn't ungrateful. Oh. It was a different word. Dear gods, what was Interesting. it? Um, see, translate. Ooh, criterion. This is your fault because you did both uh. of them. Oh, what was it? Because he. That's why he didn't like. Um, That's why I didn't like shooting, shooting star. star was because he was. It wasn't that. It was another word. Damn. Oh. And I don't remember what. Maybe it was. yours made more sense because I thought the ungrateful line didn't make any sense with shooting star. Who was he not grateful to? It was. To? Du- it was like an undutiful man. It was more like oh, that. Okay. He had no sense yeah. of duty. That's why he didn't like about shooting star. All so. right, that makes. 
Yeah, but you get those also in the Shinobi movies. It's not just samurai. No, but that, that's why I'm thinking this to me feels more like a samurai film than it does a noir. It is a, I would say it's a samurai film with, it's a modern day samurai film with noir overtones. I don't find it strictly noir, but I also can totally see the argument that it is. Okay, I can see that perspective. I, uh... Yeah, but what we don't know is yeah. it, was it any good or not? The finish. So, Max. Yeah. Was it any good or not? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. Uh, I found it kind of jarring. Uh, I found it strange and hard to follow a lot of points. But it's also fascinating when you look at it as being from 1966. This thing was years ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. With the whole style, the stylistic stuff, the way it looked was amazing. The fight, the black and white fight, I don't mean like the, t the sequence in the beginning. I mean when the whole set is all in black and white. Oh, and the color changes at the end? Yes. That was yeah. really cool. That was so wild to watch. And yet some of it is so absurd when he's if shooting at all these guys and he throws his gun in the air, does a Captain Kirk roll, <laughs> catches the gun... And shoots the guy. Like, what was the point of that? Oh, he tells us like, that. Oh, it distracted him, huh? No, he the, he tells us that early on in one of the shootouts. He says, I'm no oh. good further than 15 uh, feet away. The 10 I mean, meters. 15 10 meters. meters. Oh, it was 15 in mine. Oh, in mine it was 10 meters, which made more sense, actually. That's why he does what he does. He has to get closer. Oh. Yeah. But throwing the gun in the air, come on. Look, I'm unarmed. Leap, crab, <laughs> shoot, die. Ah! Punch, cry. <laughs> I, I think this was fascinating. I don't know if I enjoyed it that much. Mm -hmm. Again, I really, I, I liked Tetsu. I thought he was, a, he was, the performance was really good. I liked, I love the look. The powder blue Lone Ranger suit. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look like a Lone Ranger suit, except it's exactly the same color yeah. as the Clayton Moore suit when the Lone Ranger went to color. Mm, there's a deeper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, again, I like the way it looks. I, I like a lot of it. I like the style, but it's hard to watch. It, it's, hard, it, it's hard to keep with it for me. Again, part of it, I think, is there are tropes and references that I don't get because I don't know Japanese cinema that well. Mm. Real quick question. A, How did yeah. it feel for pacing? Most of the time, I thought it moved along really well. There were times it slowed down a bit, but mostly, I, I think it was fairly quick. Did it feel like an hour 20 to you? Yeah, it did, honestly. Ultimately, it did. Okay. What about you? Did you like it? I did like it. Okay. I think there are times when the stylishness takes over depth. And again, this may be a Japanese cinema thing that I'm just not as well acquainted with. That part you mentioned about the fight in the end, I had forgotten, where the colors are being changed in the club as they're fighting. Mm. Really cool. And it's, you know, it foreshadows, and then it also let us know, lets us know what happened. Although, strangely, I honestly thought Tetsu had died, and his whistling was like the last thing he was going to do before he actually passed oh. away. But then, of course, he gets up. No, 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 he missed. I could follow it no problem. I didn't have an, as a big issue with things being jarring as you did. I didn't really feel that they were jarring. I think that budgetary issues, special effects were a problem. Occasionally when you could tell that he's in front of a of a rear projection screen and stuff like that. Yeah. 
But it is very cool. It is very 60s in that way that people have tried to recapture and they just can't do it. Stuff that was made in the 60s, there's this certain flavor and apparently yeah, it doesn't matter when it was made where it was made. Nope, doesn't matter what country. You can tell. The 60s movies, they all have a certain feel. I don't know if it's the film stock they were all using or what, but they, they do. You look at it and you go, if this were any more 60s, it'd be Woodstock. Well, and one of the, the parts of the definition of cool is not knowing you're cool, right? And yeah. 60s didn't yeah. know it was cool. They were just doing what they did. And that's why we have shows like Mad Men. It's like, wasn't it really cool in the 60s? And the answer is, yeah, it really was. Of course, we were also much higher in racism and homophobia yeah. and yeah. Uh, misogyny. Sexism. But yeah. the elements of the 60s were that's why people like tarantino watched this film and said oh i can do that more than once because <laughs> um, there's a lot this a lot of the style this reminded me of tarantino or i should say the other way around tarantino reminds yeah, no. me of a lot of suzuki style and i yeah. don't think he's been at all quiet about that yeah but uh i did like it i thought it was interesting okay. i felt it was a little slower than you did i will say it okay. felt longer than an hour 20 to me but I could follow what was going on. I knew there were some things I was missing, and it I can't tell if it actually affected my enjoyment of the film because I don't know what they were supposed to do. But I thought it was pretty cool. And even though I don't know anything more about the characters at the end of the film than I do in the beginning, it was neat. And I'm glad I watched it. So, yeah, there. Cool. Yeah. But we have that poll nice. question. Which we has, do. We have a poll yeah. question to reiterate, which is, what is your favorite example of one country successfully making a movie in a genre associated with a different country? The examples like an American samurai movie, an Italian cowboy movie, or a Russo-Finnish Sinbad movie. He's not Sinbad! <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell us what you think. You can tell us your favorite by emailing us at us at maxmikemovies.com or going to our website, maxmikemovies.com, and leaving a comment. Or you can find us on that FaceType book. I will never say it. <laughs> in, under, in the group, Max Mike Movies. And, of course, we are on all podcast apps that have been, are now, or ever will be unto the universe. Amen. But we, we are coming to the end, if not at the end. We have decided to extend this series a little bit because we had so many good suggestions from people. And, uh, you know, it's funny to find out there's actually kind of a lot of these noir movies. Who knew? Yeah. But what one are we going to check out next week? It's a good old American film, right, Mike? Yes. Oh, good. Yes, and it's about American oh, subject, too. <clears throat> oh, cool. Yeah, we are extending for a couple episodes. I think, interestingly, the films we're going to extend it with are not from your suggestions, <laughs> although Tokyo <laughs> Drifter and Dark City were. Um, yes. But I think we're probably going to come back to noir at some point, don't you think? Cause I think so. There's too much. There's a lot we haven't gotten near, especially uh, the more modern noir. And it's fun. <laughs> yeah, so, it is. But next movies. week... We're going to go to the heart of noir, where noir really just started to uh, gestate and come to its own, and we're going yeah. to France. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Wait, what? We're going to France. France? Yes. Uh, you mean like France, Illinois? France, the country. Cheese, wine, got, duck, a la Ronge. Yeah. Oh, We're yeah. going to France. Now, France, uh, this would be more or less in the middle of the French New Wave. So I don't know if this is a French New Wave film or not. I didn't look. And it actually only takes place a year after this one which is interesting. So we're going to see what other people were doing with noir at that time period, 1967, I believe. And it does have another connection to this week's film because it's titled La Samurai. 
Wait, a French samurai movie? Well... Well, that kind of ties into the poll question. Okay. Kind of. So maybe it is, maybe it isn't. There's only one way to find out. And I do mean only one way. And that's to listen that's to us. strap Mike to a chair and hit him with a pipe until he tells you. No, that's how we did it last week. This oh. week, we're just going to watch the movie and then come back and listen to us talk about it. Last week's way worked, too. It won't work again. But maybe we'll try it on you. <laughs> This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.